0: Um, And the idea is that we um, explore how basically machine learning, data management and artificial intelligence can help uh, us solve problems in the grocery and retail space.
1: And we were wondering how we can enhance the predictive performance of this real-world recommender system.
0: I think one interesting thing with recommendations is also that they are very, very domain-specific.
1: Yeah, first we also did an offline evaluation. So we implemented our algorithm in different programming languages.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to the BOL.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you, peeking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at BOL.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers.
3: Yeah, welcome to another episode of the Tech Lab podcast. And as you know, we're always looking for uh, interesting, special topics for you to share about our experiences. And sometimes we're yeah, taking a broader scope than uh, justbull.com. And uh, yeah, we found a very interesting topic. And to be honest, we've been working quite long to get them uh, on the show due to all kinds of agenda things and uh, whatever. But uh, yeah, Peter, don't hold attention any longer. What will be on this show?
2: yeah what will be on the show it's um it's indeed a a, a joint um uh, effort between uh, the university of amsterdam and our mother organization ahol they introduced the artificial intelligence for retail lab in amsterdam and when, they, when you have a look at the site it says uh, this lab is a joint uh, um, uh, industry lab and conducts research into socially responsible Responsible algorithms that can be used to make recommendations to consumers and into transparent artificial intelligence technology for managing goods flows. Well, that's a whole mouthful. Yeah, the research takes place at Albert Heijn and Boll.com, both brands of Aalbehezen, and in addition, uh, this lab, Amsterdam, focuses also on talent development tracks. So that's a lot of um, items in it. So it must be really interesting to find out uh, what it is about. So, yeah. The, the two guests of our show can tell everything about it. So time to introduce them, Peter-Paul.
3: Yeah, because it's not only getting a good topic, but also, yeah, good uh, guests in, in our show. And I think we, we again uh, made that as well. Uh, so we have uh, uh, Barry Kersberger, He's uh, working on recommendations at, uh, at bold.com. And he's a PhD candidate at uh, AI for Retail uh, Lab. And we have uh, Sebastian Schelter is assistant professor at the University of uh, Amsterdam. Welcome to your vote, great to have you.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you, thanks for having us. Yeah, great.
3: Hey, yeah, can you explain in your words, uh, yeah, what's the air lab?
0: Maybe I can start and Barry, you can chime in if uh, if you want to add something or clarify something. Uh,
2: by, the, so by the way, way uh, is, is this, uh, we, we now call it air lab, is, this, is that how you call it as well or? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. air lab, yeah. okay. So the AirLab is a research
0: collaboration between Ahol Delhese, Boll.com and uh, Albert Heijn and the University of uh, of Amsterdam. Um, As part of this lab, we have uh, six PhD students, um, two full professors who are directors of the lab and me who is an assistant professor and I'm the lab manager. Um, And the idea is that we... um, Explore how um, basically machine learning, data management, and artificial intelligence um, can help uh, us solve problems in the grocery and retail space. Um, For example, how can we build better recommendation systems? How can we um, build better demand forecasts? Things like that. and the setup is that we that our PhD students they work at the university and then they also spend some time with the brands talk to the talk to the teams there and can test the algorithms on some of the data and infrastructure from the companies.
3: Exactly. Great to hear that. So and um, so you talked a little about uh, yeah what you're aiming for and uh, what you, what you're working uh, towards. From your perspective, uh, uh, Barry, how how would it work for bold.com? How will it support us? Uh, You've been working on recommendations, I don't know, maybe for as long as I've worked at (laughs) bold.com. but quite a while at least.
1: Quite a while, yes. um, So how does this support bold.com? So we have been doing for recommendations for as long as I've been working at bold.com, so that's uh, over 11 years. Uh, but there's always room to improve things. And the question, of course, is how can you leverage that? And uh, also what was interesting, I think, for bold.com was an answer to the question, how are we doing compared to academic solutions? And 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 working together with academia really helped us gain insights in that and to improve that.
3: Exactly. So so maybe to, to benchmark Mark yeah, and to see uh, are we actually... Um... Achieving the results that that from an academic uh, point of view, you would assess that we would be able to make that. That's wh- what you're stating there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Okay. Uh, and, and, and how are we uh, uh, yeah, benchmarking that then? Because that would be very interesting to know, at least for me.
1: Yes, good question. So that was actually the research question from our, one of the research questions from our first study. So I think you could say that most academic research focuses on, uh, yeah, they are not able to do these things in an industry setting because simply they don't have access to these environments, and and we do. But we also have an operational system to maintain. So for us, it's not a greenfield project. We actually have to innovate and improve something that we already have working, which has also been battle-tested for for 11 years. So it's, it's, it's quite a high bar, but... So the first goal of this study was to see if we can uh, leverage, uh, if we can innovate from it from a systems perspective, meaning making the system better, and also from an uh, algorithmic perspective, how can we increase the predictability from a, a recommender system? That's what we focused exactly.
0: on. Exactly. So I think, I think what's what um, what, may, uh, what we should maybe. Uh, is that in, um, as, as Barry said um, academia studies a lot of these problems like recommender systems but uh, as academics we usually never have access to real world systems so what we have to do in academia is we in some sense work on proxy tasks so there are, there are a couple of data sets for example um, from Netflix, um, a couple of years ago, they released some of the uh, of their, their rating data, how users rated movies, and then a lot of researchers built some kind of recommender system, and then always use this one data set that Netflix released at some point in time to see whether they can improve their recommendations or not. Um, and one big problem there is whether um, some insights that you gain. Using this proxy task with this one data sets, whether they really generalize and transport to real world recommender systems. Um, and that's something that's in academia very, very difficult to figure out. And one of the big advantages of our setup is that we can actually do this because um, Barry is working both at the university but also at bold.com. So whenever we have an idea, we can test it on some data from bold.com, but we can also test it if we think that it's valuable. We can also test it um in a real system
3: exactly and what i also can imagine that i I don't know if it's true that that um when you work with with, let's say just that data set from netflix that then the solutions tend to be work very well in that domain but not necessarily work in other domains or with other types of data set for other kinds of recommendations Uh, and and this will probably allow you to have access to more, more uh, data sets and to be uh, can give more general conclusions as well is that correct or
0: yes yes definitely so, so I think one interesting thing with recommendations is also that they are very very domain specific like with movies you wouldn't want to watch a movie again that you watched last week but with groceries for example Um, recommending you to buy the stuff again that you bought last week in the supermarket might actually be a very good and valuable recommendation. So uh, Mm -hmm. very often that also depends a lot on the domain.
3: Exactly. And where that would really work for for your daily groceries, that wouldn't really work for laptops and iPads and stuff like that. There you would kind of work the other way around. So it's really, really specific. And sometimes even there are details within the domain where the one thing would work and the other thing... uh, wouldn't work. Could we also like like discuss an example project Will we take yours then Barry or, or another one, but what, what's a good idea?
1: Yeah, we could uh, of course be happy to share a little bit of insights in that. Uh, so these recommender systems, maybe we should also take a step back and why we'd have these recommender systems in the first place. Uh, and I think recommender systems can really help a platform uh, and, and specifically the customers when there's just a, 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 store, a choice overload, and there's simply too many things to choose from, because this is where these systems can really help the customer. And at Boldecom we have one of these systems, for instance, uh, that focuses on helping customers, which is Andre ook on the product detail page. And we were wondering how we can enhance the predictive performance of this real-world recommender system. And real-world recommender systems also have real-world requirements, so for us, that would meant like it needs to do a thousand predictions per second. It also has to be really fast. So it has to return a result within 150 milliseconds. Of course, on millions of products and of course for millions of users. And then we looked at which academic setup is the closest to our real world setting. And we, we found a domain that's called session-based recommendations. And for session-based recommendations, the goal is to predict the next item. Set of items that a user uh, will interact with, given the current items that a person has looked at in a very short amount of time.
2: But, but this is already uh, what you now described, what you what you determined before you ha- uh, had the 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 working together with AirLab, right?
1: Yes, we already had an existing system for that, and with collaboration with AirLab, we looked at how we can improve it from an uh, to integrate academic solutions into ours and also see what academia people are doing and like what is the state of the art in this domain when we purely look at the academic setup and then we integrate our requirements as well to see how we can take this to the next level for Bull.com. does that make sense
2: yeah. So, so to summarize it for myself, on on the one hand, uh, have we have uh, you brought in our system, which uh, which you described. Okay, this is the numbers you uh, and, and the business requirements. Yep. and This is how we did it so far, uh, based on this uh, session-based recommendation. And then you said in AirLab, okay, what if we do it from a, from an academic perspective? And you brought them together. That's what I now learned.
1: Yeah, I, I think that could be a way to phrase yes. it. And yes. I'm- yeah,
0: i think i think it's exactly about this bringing together these different worlds um in in academia again people study this this uh, this this session-based recommendation problem based on a couple of publicly available data sets um and they mostly basically you have data from a month and then data from the following day and then you see how well can i predict what what somebody clicks on on the following day, based on what they've clicked on, uh, or what a lot of people have clicked on on on, uh, on the previous days, and typically the way that this is evaluated is by some measure of accuracy, like how well can you predict these clicks. Um, so that is interesting for Ball, But as as Barry said, if you build a real world recommender system, then there's a lot of more systems related challenges that you have. Like the system needs to work on millions of items. The system needs to respond. Within uh, a very uh, with very low latency, the system needs to um, needs to be deployable with certain uh, certain operational costs. So what we try to do at AirLab uh, basically is to try to bring bring together these worlds and see if we can build something that is scientifically state of the art, but at the same time also really deployable at large scale in a business context like like Bull.com. And I think the the nice thing about our setup is that this is something that you can neither do only at university or only in industry. That's something where you really need the collaboration.
2: Yeah. So so you you define a state-of-the-art, uh, scientifically uh, approved um, way of doing recommendations, uh, and to verify that um, does that mean that we brought that into production and that you used the output of it so not only the, uh, the the given recommendations but also the the way the customers reacted on it to to verify that uh, that recommendation system is that uh, what you did
1: yeah yeah correctly yeah first we also did an offline evaluation as sebastian uh, was also saying so we implemented our algorithm in different lang- programming languages uh, a common language so Python is, for instance, a common data science language, but uh, yeah, it, it was more a uh, it was more an, an uh, academic implementation, so maybe not the best one to actually run in production. Then also uh, in different programming languages, for instance, such as Java. And then using an offline evaluation, we already found out that certain technologies simply cannot use at this scale for these kinds of problems because, uh, for instance, Java just runs out of memory, and tuning the garbage collector is just much of a hassle and in the end it doesn't scale very well and we also implemented it in rust programming language and that just worked uh, very well so we really liked that outcome and then we implemented that as a system uh, using docker containers kubernetes etc istos for load balancing and then we run an a b test for three weeks on the Bouldercom production platform and compared it to our own uh, solution that we had before them. So the previous Andre BK Coke recommended system. And then we got the results. Oh, well, you're mentioning a <laughs> lot of stuff.
2: <laughs> <Purchasing>. <laughs> so you started to uh, to build it in, in different languages, and that was to uh, to prove scalability uh, requirements. So it's that's more
1: technical. Yeah, uh, to verify f- the implementation uh, the choices that we made to make sure that they hold and, and are indeed better. So, for instance, okay. um, may,
0: may, um, maybe we need to take um, one step back. And so, what we first did was we um, we took a data sample from click data, from internal click data, and then we took um, a large number of state-of-the-art algorithms, and we ran an offline evaluation. So, basically, do the they work well in scientific benchmarks. So, we we, um, we tried to figure out how well do these algorithms do in... Uh, on, on Bulls data and we tried uh, a wide range of algorithms, um, the complex algorithms that apply um, so-called deep learning, basically the, the um, latest and greatest uh, machine learning techniques, but also much simpler algorithms that applied what's called uh, nearest neighbor algorithms so that basically like searching for, for similar sessions, um, which is conceptually much simpler than deep learning. Um, and what we found out um, to our surprise, what some uh, academics already had suggested, was that in this domain of session-based rec- these very uh, these rather simple nearest neighbor-based approaches, um, on the one hand, better predictive performance than deep learning methods. And on the other hand, are also much uh, easier, much, more costly to, uh, much less costly to, to train. So that was a really interesting insight that we had at the beginning of last year. And then we decided um these nearest neighbor based approaches look really really promising so let's see if we can build a scalable system that can really work at this at the scale of ball and that's why we then tried different programming languages different approaches and um where we really had to build something that can search through hundreds of millions of clicks in uh less than I think you said that the, the 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 goal was less than 150 milliseconds, but our system is actually much much faster, um, as we've seen now.
2: Yeah. So so building it in Rust is is basically because of the speed, or was there uh, were there more reasons that uh, Rust made it a, a good choice?
0: People who are not familiar with Rust, because it's um
2: it's a bit of a new technology.
0: So in general, there's um. Two big kinds of programming languages. There are systems programming languages like C and C, um, which are very, very fast because um, they are compiled and you have direct access. You can run them basically on, on bare metal, but typically they are also rather unsafe. So a lot of security problems come from, uh, um, from memory leaks in, in C and C. And so they are very, very difficult to program. On the other hand, there are safer languages like Python or Java, for example, where you typically have a runtime system like JVM that takes care of certain things that um, um, frees uh, manages memory for you. But typically, these these high-level languages, these safe languages, come with a um, a certain performance increase. And the nice thing is that Rust is a new programming languages that tries to give you the best of both worlds. So on the one hand, Rust allows you to write very low-level programs that are as fast as C and C++ programs. But at the same time, Rust has a very unique concept where basically the compiler statically verifies at compile time that your program is memory safe. So basically, the Rust compiler doesn't let you write uh, unsafe programs. Um, And it's a bit more difficult to program than uh, other programming languages but it's um i think we are very happy with it it's been a good experience and the performance that you get from it is really mind-blowing yeah
2: so you um, you've already explained this this uh, rust uh, setup you uh, implemented in the bold.com environment uh, so yeah. after the the safe environment you you put it in in bold.com environment and you did the a b test uh, so now it runs fully a hundred percent is is on the new um uh, state-of-the-art scientifically approved uh uh, a yeah. recommendation well, system
1: yes all traffic from www.ball.com is uh, redirected uh, is being answered by this uh, by this uh, new system and then now we're working together with the uh, mobile apps teams uh to see how we can uh, run a-, a b tests on the mobile apps to see if this state-of-the-art solution also uh, provides uh interesting value for the customers that use mobile devices mm.
2: and and does that mean that this this um output this usage again is also given back to AirLab to um, to iterate on on that as well
1: i would say so yes uh, so we're working together with this with sebastian and also uh, another phd student for this and we we keep on innovating this so right now we're at our second paper and then already preparing for our third now we can make this better more advanced etc so it's a, a I would say it's a continuous job. It's never finished. <laughs> We're just getting started.
2: So what what can you say about the results so far for this uh, specific project?
1: What I can say so far is that these are recommendations are adaptive. So they adapt to your behavior, which is something that the previous system was not. So it would just be the best on average. And while this new system is adapting to your behavior, uh, it is really fast. And also when we look at, so that's from a user perspective, but also if we look at a systems perspective, in the past, we would always use Java. We would have many, many Java machines that would have all these garbage collections happening. So they would increase memory, do garbage collection, stop the world, then it would not respond. uh, Difficult, difficult to maintain. And with Rust, it's a completely different experience. The, The memory usage is just constant. So there is no increase in memory over time. It's just it just uses a certain amount of memory, and that's it. And we also see the same thing for CPU load because there's no garbage collections happening. It just nicely responds to the CPU to the number of requests as you would expect. So the difference is that you need very little infrastructure to actually handle this system. So um, we only need uh, two virtual CPUs to handle a thousand requests per second in production and even now we're preparing for the load test for the season so eventually we thought we should increase the number of pods just to make sure that we can handle uh, uh, many thousands and thousands of requests per second but we could see that already with with uh, four vcpus we can already handle very very large amounts of load which is something completely different from what we experienced in the past with for instance using java services that just fetch a record from a database because they need, then we need tons and tons of hardware to handle that. Mm. So that's nice from, uh, I would say, from the systems perspective. And also uh, just looking at the security status. So at Bold.com, we have Karma that uh, gives a, that's a system created by operations people that gives a little bit of feedback about the security of your application, uh, which they check. And uh, what's also nice about Rust is that we, there are zero warnings, but even even on the yellow, so they're not even uh, mild warnings or anything. So that's also nice with, uh, yeah, with Java that that is sometimes different. Hmm.
2: That sounds like a lot of uh, positive items uh, in 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 this project. But um, it's also nice to to uh, learn from uh, well uh, your experience on on uh, your challenges or maybe mistakes. And we have a look at it pro- this project. What uh, what can you say about that?
1: So about the project, well, it would be nice, of course, if it could have been done faster, but yeah, I think we're kind of exploring where this takes us, so I, I'm not sure if this could have been done any faster. Uh, what, so maybe if I can share a little bit on my Rust experience so far, is that I really like the programming language Rust, but the tool stack is, is, is a little bit uh, less advanced than, for instance, uh, you would have with Java. In Java, you have your IDE, and if you want to refactor some code, the, the, the IDE can do like magic things for you, right? And and it actually works. So you can refactor all kinds of code and then it still works. In Rust, you don't have all these. The, the, uh, I'm using Lion, and it's, it's a little bit limited in what you can refactor automatically. So you have to do a little bit more labor while you're writing code. But I think the nice thing is with a service oriented architecture, we can encapsulate all that logic. In a specific system and keep the system small so therefore it's still maintainable Uh, you can still develop very rapidly in such a system Uh, and that i think was a learning for me i was not familiar with the rust programming languages so it just took me a little bit while to learn how things work how do you do things in rust and unfortunately on stack overflow there are limited amount of answers to certain questions if the question has ever been asked so that took a little bit more time uh, because in Rust, you sometimes do things a little bit different. Yeah, uh, and that's and another thing
3: with the, with, with the variables and the, and how memory is allocated to them. And you really have to get a grasp on that to really get to know the uh, language, especially if you're coming from Java, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also, they're limited. So we have a Rust community at bold.com. but Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's nice, but it's, it's unfortunately too small at this moment. So it would be great if more people are familiar with it so we can really learn from many, many best practices. And right now we have best practices, but it's still yeah, it would be great if there could be more best practices. So we can more learn uh, reuse docker images, stuff like that because yeah we had to invent a lot of wheels. so it would be better if for our next project people could just leverage what we already have and focus on the, the stuff that really attracts them, maybe implementing the logic or algorithms or things like that.
2: People want to know more about Rust. Maybe we can put the link to this sh- in the show notes to the other uh, sure. episodes we uh, we put on Rust uh, uh, and, and FTP. Hey, and for you, Sebastian? I think uh,
0: Rust is. Uh, uh, I think Rust is repeatedly being voted as the most loved programming language. So mm-hmm. there's a very enthusiastic community behind Rust.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it keeps on uh, getting back uh, every now and then. So it, yeah. it, there must be uh, great stuff in it. Uh else that Absolutely. wouldn't happen i think yeah, yeah. but from from the airlock the side um sebastian what, what did you take out of the project and uh, also the learnings and challenges
0: so as i think as i already mentioned it was
2: uh, really interesting
0: for us to confirm this finding from other papers that um, at least for this domain of session-based recommendation that these simple methods outperform these more um Um, these more advanced methods. I think that is something where the academic community should basically drill in and figure out why this is the case. And for me, it's also very interesting because um, my research actually focuses on the intersection of machine learning and data management. And it's often very difficult to find interesting problems where you can... um, um basically work on on this on this problem from two sides and for me this uh, the the work with Barry was was super enjoyable because we could we, we basically could do exactly these two things we looked into a machine learning problem session based recommendation Barry tuned the algorithm a bit um we did a lot of the things that everyone who does machine learning has to do but at the same time we could also do some uh, serious systems work and build a real world system that is very very fast um I think before we before we deployed it to the A/B test, we ran load tests in the staging infrastructure. So that's all kinds of fun things that um, a lot of people in academia can can never do. And f- uh, for me, it was great to be able to to do to do this through our collaboration with Paul. Mm.
2: Hey, and you say, um, and we we have to find out uh, why it is that um, uh, that those simple uh, uh, algorithms work better than the the more complex ones. Uh, is is that a, a follow up question you want to address in 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 AirLab, or is it just an, an an open question to the the science world to dive into this? Um,
0: I think it's both. So I think first of all, we we are in the process of publishing all our results. So we always hope that other researchers pick this up. And there's also we're working on a lot of different recommendation problems uh, at AirLab. Um, next to session based recommendation we also work on what's called next basket recommendation so um that basically means given your past shopping bucket uh, shopping baskets what would be in your shopping baskets i don't know next week or so so we can help you fill your your shopping basket and we also do a lot of research in this area and um there we interest Interestingly, have similar observations. So there's also a lot of these complicated deep learning methods, and many of them are outperformed either by these nearest neighbor methods or even by much simpler methods that just look at your basically your favorite items over the past and then some globally favorite items. And um, we have some some work under review trying to explain that. So in this in this uh, next basket recommendation use case, it seems that there is this role of repeat items. Basically the things that you buy over and over again. Um that seems to be um and, and the research community basically doesn't seem to focus enough on exactly these items.
2: So more work to be done over there. Yeah. Yes, yes.
3: Okay. And it's possible that what I'm also very curious about. Eh, you mentioned that you had had from your perspective yeah, more insights into how you do production systems and work in a more Let's say commercial uh, environment. What really stood out, or what really are you taking with you as a as kind of a lesson learned from being, from this opportunity you had into the rest of your work now uh, from this experience? So in some
0: sense, it's kind of a, a continuation of a lot of research that that I have been oh. doing uh, for a couple of years since my PhD. So I'm <coughs> um, I'm originally from the database community <coughs> and. Our research is always much more systems-focused than, um, uh, than, than maybe more theoretical research in the machine learning community, and for me this is this is really really important. Um, so, for example, during my PhD, I worked at TU Berlin, where we built, uh, where I contributed to um, a stream processing system called Apache Flink, that. At some point in time, when I joined the lab, it was basically the pet project from a couple of PhD students. And then in the last 10 years, it has become really big. I think Ball is, for example, using it for lots of use cases. Mm -hmm. Alibaba bought a company from some colleagues of mine for a lot of money. And I think Alibaba used it for, um, I forgot the name. There's this big shopping day in China. And I think Alibaba used it for some really, really big use cases there. so for me, it's really this uh, this combination. Um, one takeaway is which we're already doing is we want to build our future systems in Rust. Um, we want to be able to control uh, memory management. Um, and what we also always try to do is we try to take some techniques. Like classical techniques from the database space, um, and try to reinvent them for this machine learning space. Um, so, for example, in this new recommender system, there's basically the core loop that computes similarities between sessions. That um, um, and, uh, one of our students who isn't here today, he optimized this, um, Olivia, and the techniques that he used are very, very similar to techniques that, for example, query optimizers in relational databases use to. Um, Basically, jointly execute certain parts of a of a SQL query and and try to keep um, intermediate results very very small.
3: Exactly. Ah, cool. That that's also yeah, that that there are also influences from that and from these other optimizations uh, yeah. uh, as well. And hey, uh, for you, Barry, for for what do you really take from the let's say the more academic world uh, in your world? Yeah, of course you're continuing on your PhD. But that's kind of the academic world. I'm more looking into the other part.
1: Wow, good question. Uh, many things. So what I really like about the collaboration is that you have to really think about how you how you innovate and and what kind of contributions did you really make. So uh, normally, you from a business perspective, you usually get a certain problem, and then if you work in a Scrum team, you just need to solve the problem, and if you have a good solution for the problem, it, we. We can a b test it and if it works then it's accepted but of course if you work with a university or doing a phd you also have to prove that this is not a solution to the problem but it's also the best solution out there in the world and you have to uh, support that claim Uh, so you have to think really close about why is this solution better is it better what are others doing uh, to come up with all these reasons why this is the best solution and to do that, you also need, for instance, to review papers from other researchers. Like uh, they are, they're, con- they're submitting their paper to a conference, and then you have to give feedback. And this is not just reading their work, but you have to really think about what are they writing, what are they claiming, and, and what proof that you have to actually improve that. And that kind, that level of working really appeals to me because it really makes you think about what it is that you're doing and, and, and how are you improving things, which I think is very relevant if you have been doing this for 11, 12 years, mm-hmm. because the solution, the bar is already very high. So it is yeah. very difficult to raise the bar after 12 years because these are fully autonomous systems. Uh, they they are fully automated. Um, so that kind of way of working and also working with people that that really think about what they say, right? So you have to so, so sometimes <laughs> yes. in the evening you, you think about what did you discuss today and then you think, wow, that makes a lot of sense. These people say really smart things. So I like to be around, yeah, as you know, people that that really say all these smart things that makes me think about what we do and how we improve things because I am convinced that that's, that's what we need to get to the next level.
2: What, what does this uh, do? Uh, if, if you describe it like this, Buddy, then it sounds like... Um more time consuming and I believe that uh, sometimes, well, that that will generate a, a lot of tension on, on your project if you think about business, they want, they have a great idea, they want to have it in production as quick as possible. So how do you deal with this tension then in, in this yeah. more academic way of working?
1: Good question. Uh, so the first one was just, um, so I'm the first external PhD student that works together with UVA and AirLab at Bold.com. So what I did was set together with the managers and the product owners and, and everyone involved all stakeholders. And I said, I have two stakeholders. I have one at bolt.com and I have at Juva. And it is always unfortunate to have two stakeholders because you will always do wrong, right? You cannot please both of them at the same time. And just, I think being open and transparent and sharing that uh, also made them understand my position. Uh, and And, and then I think everything fell into place. So you cannot. I think it is very difficult to come up with a state-of-the-art solution and also do it really quickly. So uh, yeah. So just being transparent, sharing the results. Uh, but yeah, I agree that the pace is lower, but uh, we, we do hit the spot. So it, it's yes, it's a uh, it's high risk, but uh, it also comes with the high gain. So. I think we do not. Uh, I think it was very smart for ball.com to work together with Juva. Uh,
0: yeah, and, yeah, and so I think you've managed to basically make both your stakeholders very happy.
1: I like so that. Sounds s- like a compliment.
0: <laughs> 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 but you. what
2: you say, Barry, is that sometimes it's better to just just invest a bit more time to really find out. Okay, is this really the the best solution? Yes. Uh, and then in the long run, you will have the best solution. So we will benefit more. That's that's what you
1: Especially said. if you already have an existing system, but it has gone over a few iterations. Uh, I think everyone will recognize that it will become increasingly harder to improve it. You can only, it seems like you can only improve it up to a certain level, right? You can make a service faster, but making it 10 times faster and another 10 times, another 10 times. At a certain moment, it just becomes really hard to do all these things. So you have to be very creative in how to actually get to that goal. And I think the challenges with data science in general is that it is really difficult to think about what will actually make it better, right? You can make better predictions, but does that really help you in gaining business value, right? So there are many, yeah, so it's not like a business person that tells you just implement this rule and then the story is finished, right? Uh. Uh, you you just have data and you need to come up with an algorithm and a sort of evaluation methodology that supports that offline to come up with a better, yeah, with an alternative hypothesis how we could do things better and then test it, etc. And these loops take a lot of time because you have to set up a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, so on the other side, also like working with the the collaboration with Juva, I think they're very nice people and especially with Sebastian. Yeah, what I like about working together with Sebastian is that, of course, I have... Lots of working experience, so I can also imagine that it can be challenging to work with me perhaps, <laughs> uh, but he gave me no. enough sufficient freedom to make my own decisions and at also at the same time show his leadership and his expertise and that allows me to grow further as a researcher, which I really liked about uh, Sebastian.
2: Mm,
0: cool. Okay. Thank you, Barry. Yeah, I'm very happy about the collaboration. Um, I maybe want to add one more thing, and that's um, about this perspective. So we sh- uh, should we work on long-term projects? Should we try to tackle very hard problems? I think we, all, we should all not forget that in some sense, there's a big global competition going on. And in other parts of the world, there's very, very huge investments in China and in all these technologies. So I think um, we as European companies, um, we shouldn't be shy to also in that
2: direction yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a nice bridge to uh, to one other question we had um, how can people benefit f- from from this and and uh, and another question is uh, yeah do you need some help or or hey, what else do you need uh, in in this uh, air lab so can you elaborate on, on those uh, questions sebastian
0: what we i think i think people benefit in um, in various ways so first of all Usually, if a recommender system is better than the old one, then that means that people find what they're looking for faster. The other thing is, um, we are publishing all our research and trying to make it uh, um, uh, uh, available openly as much as possible, so other researchers can can read our papers, students can use uh, can use our technology, other brands within our delhaize can 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 use our technology. Um, so I think this generation of of knowledge and sharing is uh, something that is very very important for us. Um, and at the same time maybe something else that we should mention is we also try to build systems that um, allow people to still gain control over uh, over the way that algorithms are applied on their data. So for example, something that we built into uh, this recommender system that if you re- revoke your consent for using your session data, as a basis for the recommendation then our system will immediately stop doing this and give you static non-personalized recommendations that was also a technical challenge um and i think this is how all of these systems have to be built
2: taking your own control yeah that's very important in these days and uh, to uh, to be aware of as well wow wow hey what are, what are the future plans can you already share some of those
0: so, I think we had this big insight that a lot of these algorithms are, um, that are developed for this space are often too complex and too expensive to be deployed in real world, large scale real world recommendation use cases. And at the moment, we're thinking about. Um, I don't want um, it's, to, it's, it's still in, pro, in, in progress and I don't want to share too much um, <laughs> until we're more sure, but we are thinking about how we can help other researchers to, for example, automatically verify this algorithm that I came up with, um, um, would it work in a, in a, in a setting, that is maybe similar to BOL. The question is how can we, maybe they don't have a collaboration with BOL, so how can we give them some tooling, some machinery, so that they can run some kind of evaluations or tests, and then really verify this, and by that uh, create an algorithm that is both uh, very good in terms of predictive performance, but that is also um, 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 would be applicable in a large scale industrial setting. Interesting.
3: Mm. Because it would help you uh, evaluate these uh, these uh, things upfront instead of being uh, yeah, having to yeah. conduct a whole yeah. complete experiment. This of course saves uh, time and helps you into the direction faster. Yeah. Awesome. Yes,
0: awesome. And, and and a lot of people who these like we are not really designing algorithms. We're evaluating algorithms. We yeah, tweaking exactly. them a little yeah. bit, and we're building systems. But a lot of the people who. Um, who actually design algorithms, They, um, their focus or their background is in math and statistics and optimization, and they are not necessarily like uh, systems hackers who like to think about memory management and all that stuff. So so the question is basically, how can we connect them to some of the research that we are doing, and how can we help them um, also design algorithms that are good, but at the same time, very, very efficient.
2: Hey, and for you, Barry, what is, uh, for you in uh, the, the future, would, uh, you stay connected to to end up till you finish your PhD or
1: yeah correct nice yeah so that will be for four years will be some time three okay. more years to go three, <laughs> three more years, years to, go. to
0: go
2: yeah yeah well let's see uh, if we can check in uh, more often to uh, to to discuss these uh, great projects you're doing sure yeah. great Hey, Peter-Paul, yeah going time to for the, the famous last question right exactly.
3: So, uh, questions uh, left yeah buddy Sebastian what's your uh, most important takeaway for our listeners
0: I guess for the for the technology uh, 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 aficionados in the audience um have a look at rust and start to play with it that would be my main takeaway
2: and for you buddy
1: yeah yeah I think that's a great point point. and uh, hopefully, if our paper gets accepted we can release our source code and then we will make it available so everyone can benefit from our work and uh yeah try it out
2: yeah. great hey yeah thanks thanks for sharing your stories and um to be honest when i uh, read what what's on your side i am uh, i had the bias or the belief that you were really focusing on getting the best algorithm or getting the best uh, thing from a functionality uh, perspective, but what I really liked in this whole setup is that you d- that you have a look at the total package, in, and you're you're doing that and and determining the best algorithms, etc. But also, how does th- uh, how does d- that work in a production environment on scale, etc. And and having a look at the total package makes it really in- makes it really interesting for me. It's uh, a yeah, it's a great story to uh, to hear. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time again. Thank you. Uh, Good luck with. I I just want to
0: mention we also have other PhD students and they design the best algorithms. So not everyone (laughs) needs to work on those systems.
2: (laughs) So maybe it's good to uh, to have them as well uh, soon in uh, in our one of the episodes. uh, Let's let's find it out. It's uh, also curious how that works. So uh, yeah, thanks.
3: Yeah, sure. Because uh, that would be great if you could do something like this. Because what I really also like is because some of the insights we gained is that we are. Uh, basically using uh, more knowledge that's existing in the world outside of world.com and, and to put that into practice. And then also being able to, uh, just like an open source, contribute with our data or with whatever in helping to get the other stuff uh, better out there. And I think that this is uh, an awesome example of that. And that's why I yeah, really love this. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Barry and Sebastian.
2: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for TechLab and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn or mail TechLab at bolotring. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun!